can go ahead and grab a seat. I want to share a word with you. But before I share a word with you, this is how we fight our battles. This is how we push back against the darkness. This is how we leave the chaos outside the walls and we say, we're not having it in here, Satan. This is how. Tell me something good that you need to give God thanksgiving for, okay? No, seriously, I'm not going to set up a microphone. I just want to hear you shout it. Tell me something good that God did. Go ahead. There you go. You're here. Keep going. Amen. Your wife. What else? There you go. New job. Old job. Steadfast and loyal. Keep that job. Help. What else? What is it? Your friends. Absolutely. We have friends. What else? What has Jesus done in your life that you sang so loud about and you had to lift up his name? Now he wants to know what it is. What is it? What is it? Okay. Healing from addiction. Your surgery. Yes. Infertility. Infertility. Hey, there you go. We're going to do that. Thank you, God. And there's healing for that. Let's go. What else? For your son. Amen. This group of people in here right now. Yeah, where we've come together to worship the Lord. You know, the thing that pushes back about against the darkness when the darkness closes in so hard is really you yourself, and, and, and Moses did this, and, uh, and Ezra did this as well. He gathered the people together, and he said, now let me just tell you everything that God has done. Let's stop percent, pretending that God did not do anything. Let's stop pretending that God is not moving. Let's remember that God is still alive, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead because he is the God of, not he used to be the God of. He is the God of, the scripture will tell us that. And so there's a place in there where to push back against the darkness is to begin to recount the things that God has done in our lives. Because I can tell you, when you get on social media and the internet, the world is going down the toilet. But if we will just simply stop and say, but let me tell you about my God, we will push back. And a little bit of that light will come down into our souls. And it will begin to change our attitude. And when it changes our attitude, it will begin to change our altitude. And that's a whole other sermon I'm getting wrapped up in. And I'm just going to hang on here to this one right here. But there is a place where God inhabits the praises of his people and in doing so pushes back against the darkness. And it's just not the world's circumstances. Let's be real. We've all been through some tough situations this year. Not just, I mean, forget the COVID and the politics and stuff like that. We've had health crises. We've lost somebody that we love. We've changed jobs. We've done things where we need God to speak into our lives, and God has done that. We've gotten new jobs. We've kept our old jobs. We didn't lose our jobs in the midst of things. But there's things that we have faced that have been difficult. And yet, as somebody said, the people in this room, we're here. Looks like we made it this far. And we can give God praise and thanksgiving for that. And as we give God and praise and thanksgiving for that, the Spirit begins to move. And when we pray, the Spirit's going to move, the Spirit's going to move, we need to let Him. 
and that has to be okay. I want to share a word with you, but I want to get to the end of this thing, and I just want you to open up your heart. I want you to understand that God has ordained for you to be here. I won't get into it here because I am in the message, but I, I just want to say, just, just, just let go of cottage, let go of school, let go of jobs tomorrow, let go of tonight, let go of whatever it is. Just let it go, man. I believe with all of my heart that today God wants to do something in your life. I believe that. And so I'm going to share this with you. And then our prayer ministry team is going to come up here. And I hope that we need everybody in this room to fill this place up to pray for one another. I really do. But let me just share this with you from the book of Exodus chapter 1. The book of Exodus chapter 1 beginning in verse 8. It says, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came into power in Egypt. Look, the king said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our, join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labors. They built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their uh, lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shephra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. Put yourself in the story for a minute now. Because this is what was really going on. This isn't the children's Bible. This is the real Bible. Okay? If they give birth to a baby boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. They're vigorous. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then, then, Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, not to the midwives, to anybody walking the streets. To anybody walking the streets, Pharaoh said, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. What an edict for the leader of that nation to give. That if any of you are walking down the street and you see a newborn baby boy, snatch it out of his mother's hands, run to the Nile, and throw that baby into the Nile. Crocodiles, hippopotamuses, and everything in between. Just chuck it in the Nile. According to Genesis chapter 46, 70 people went down to Egypt when Joseph went down there and he was second only to Pharaoh. All of Jacob's sons and their families went down to Goshen, set up camp, so to speak. A couple of generations go by. It's 472 years later, and they have become a slave nation because they were so prolific. You know, there's a lot going on when somebody needs to record that a nation of, of slaves has become so prolific and so many. When all you have is slave work, oppression, just a tiny little bit of hope, the populations seem to increase. That's the setup of the story for tonight. I want to talk to you about when you face things, 
where you're just like, God, I can't go any further. It's not possible, Lord. Lord, you're asking too much of me. And give God a chance. In Exodus 2, beginning of verse 1, the scripture says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was no ordinary child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, put him in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. This is a point at which her father would have said, throw him into the Nile. Not put him in a basket and put him back in the Nile. Take the baby out, grab him by the leg, and throw him into the Nile. Then his sister, Miriam, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women um, to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby, nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the Nile. There is so much going on in this story. So much going on that when you make a movie and have to cleanse it, we miss the point and the violence of it all. We, we miss the terror of this particular story and everything that's going on. This is the exact same thing that the Romans were doing with children that they didn't want. The Romans during Jesus' time, when they had a child that they didn't want, they just simply would take it to a specific area, lay it on a rock, and let the sun burn it up or kill it, or the wild animals literally come and eat it. That's how the Romans handled that. That was their concept of abortion. That's what they did. Imagine carrying a child for nine months, and then the midwives are supposed to see, because it's a boy, that they kill the child as soon as it's born. Imagine wondering as you're giving birth, is it a boy or is it a girl, because they didn't have ultrasounds back then. They didn't. They had good ideas. They had grandma's understanding. If you got heartburn a whole lot, it's probably going to be a little boy, and if not, then it's probably going to be a little girl. But imagine not going, uh, not knowing until it was born and then living in fear that it might be killed. God came that we might have life, the Scripture tells us, and that we might have it abundantly. But look at what it says in Psalm 139. For you were created in my, in, excuse me, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written down in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And in John 10, 10, Jesus tells us the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, which is, what, which is what Pharaoh was doing. But Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have it to its full. It's kind of a theme for me this year as I'm pressing into God, that God said, I've, came, I've come that you might have life and have it to its full. Those of you that call this your church home, you know that that Greek word is parisos. That, that means exceedingly abundantly, vehemently more than the circumstances around you. 
And I'm not talking health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm just saying God said that you would have a life that you never dreamed of, could never think through, could never conjure up, could never imagine. God wants you to have this life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. And the pharaohs of this world are trying to take that away from us. So I'm thinking about this story and everything that's going on in it. And as I was just rereading it, I'm just reminded how God works and how amazing it is that uh, people said no to Pharaoh. And as they said no to Pharaoh, they ended up getting paid to raise their own children. Wow, how cool was that? How cool was that? But how did that come about? These are the things that I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to share with you tonight. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is hard. But sometimes it's downright scary. I haven't always been there. I haven't always known that. But there are people in our community, there are people in our midst, there are people in our church, there are people that I have buried, there are people that I have prayed for in a hospital whose lives were downright scary. That they lived terrified terrified of an abusive spouse, terrified of an abusive um, a parent, terrified of an abusive co-worker, terrified of an abusive date, terrified of an abusive relationship, terrified of this world, terrified of what's going. The world can be a scary place. Sometimes life is hard, but sometimes it is downright scary. And God knows that. And I'm looking at this story, and I'm trying to imagine Jochebed, which is Moses' mother's name. I'm trying to imagine her life, and at that point, it was downright scary in that period of time. This was a life-altering crossroads for Jochebed. For you and I, these things come. God allows us to be in places where he gives us choices, and we have to decide what it is we're going to do. Are we going to continue to follow after Jesus? Are we going to let go of this world? Are we going to let go of the things of this world? Are we going to let go our preconceived notions of what God has to do for us and let God be God? Or are we going to live in a scary place? Are we going to live in fear that things aren't going to go the way that I want them to go? There comes a time, Jesus said, when you will have to give to Caesar what is Caesar's or you will have to give to God what is God's. And we will be there and we will have to do that. There is coming a time, Jesus said, when people will put you out of the synagogue and kill you and think that they are serving God. Do you know how fast that could happen? Have you seen how fast this world has changed in 12 months, in two years, in five years? Imagine where you were eight years ago. Where were you eight years ago on a Sunday evening? And look at what happened to the world in eight years. And it's only escalating. There is coming a time when Jesus said, the member of a man's own family will be his very enemy. It's coming. It's coming down the pike. But we don't have to live in fear. You see, it would appear that Moses' mom had a significantly planned out response because here's the deal. You don't just suddenly build a boat for your baby. She was thinking about this for three months that she got to raise this child. You don't just grab some papyrus and slap it together, put some pitch and tar on it and just throw. I mean, you build it so it doesn't rock back and forth. You build the thing. It has doors on it because she had to open this basket. So you build the thing. 
and then you do your best as you can. But here comes the point when you have to take that basket and you have to put that basket in the Nile, which is recorded as having some of the biggest crocodiles in the world. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the Nile where the crocodiles hang out. And I'm not saying they were hanging out where the princess was taking a bath. But I am saying that they hang out in the Nile. And they are vast in number. Vast. You take that basket and you put it in the Nile and there's hippopotamuses in the Nile. Hey, hippopotamuses are the single most dangerous animals on the African continent. Not crocodiles. They will bite you. They will eat you. They will run you down and kill you. 30 miles an hour on land. 30 mi- zero to 30 in like 2.6. Outrun a Corvette maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but we're talking 2,000 pound animals that can get up to 30 miles an hour. And she has to take her basket and put it in the water. And she puts it in the reeds. And suddenly she was at a life-altering moment. It was scary. And then you intentionally send your daughter off to the princess to offer your services as a wet nurse. Sometimes life is hard, but sometimes it's downright scary. But sometimes you have to back up and see the big picture for what it is. Sometimes when it's getting like that, it's important for us to back up and get a bigger picture than just the experience that's going on in front of me. What's the deal? What's the deal? This is a fight that's unfolding unbeknownst to Jochebed between heaven and hell. It's being played out around them. It's Babylon and Jerusalem. It's God himself and the devil, the accuser, still fighting. At this point today, the battle is won, but Jesus hadn't died yet back then. And there was a battle raging that was going on. Miriam was a child. She decided for God. Jochebed was a mom. She decided for God. Sometimes you will find yourself facing giants, and more than likely, they will want to kill you. There was no reason that Pharaoh didn't kill the uh, midwives for disobeying, just straight up disobeying him. Yeah, it sounded good when they said, hey, they're more vigorous. But the truth of the matter is, he knows they let him live. I believe that. You ever been there? You ever been a Jacobet? Where life just wasn't hard, it was scary. Am I going to go to jail? Is anybody going to find out? Am I going to be left alone? Is that person cheating on me? The dream that you're holding on to so tight, and God says, I just want you to put it in the Nile. I want you to take what you've got and put it in the Nile. Your children are getting married. They're going off to college. They're moving out alone, moving to a different state. You've been called to move to a different state. What about that? I made myself a note that says, sometimes bad things happening around us and even to us are the devil trying his hardest to keep us from the grace of God. That's what he's trying to do. Divert your attention take you in a different direction, get you to take your eyes off of God, get you to say, poor me, woe am I, get you to play the victim instead of living victorious. I love the passage where the midwife stood up and said no to the very face of hell itself and let Moses live, and to some degree even lied about it. 
Jochebed and Amram, Amram stood up. That's uh, Moses' dad, Amram. Stood up and said no to Pharaoh. They weren't going to do it and defied him in the name of God Almighty. And they began to raise Moses. And the whole family began to move forward. All of that to say this. Have you ever been someplace in your life where you just simply think that God is asking too much? I don't think I can do it, God. There was a time in my life that I was a contractor. I was a young father anticipating the birth of two more children. And the Lord said, I want you to quit being a contractor and I want you to go into the ministry. And I said, Lord, I can't do that. And I put it off for a couple years. And the Lord came back and said, I want you to do this. There's been times as a pastor that I've said, Lord, you're asking too much of me. There's been times just as a Christian that I say, Lord, I can't do this. Have you ever been in a spot where you feel like God is asking too much? You lost a child. It shouldn't have happened. You lost a marriage. Why me? A lot of these circumstances come into play in our lives. As I was anticipating this message, I had to go back and rewrite the end of it because I want to take you here in a time of prayer. When you think God is asking too much and you feel like, no, God, this is too much, when the Lord Almighty has taken you to the brink and tells you, let's go all in, put it in my hands, let me have it, take that basket, put it in the river, and back up. At that point in your life, when God invites you to put your treasure in the river of hell, and it doesn't make any sense at all why God would let this happen. Right when you're crying and you're trying not to, but you're giving up, bam! God starts doing something just like that. Just like that. Suddenly, Pharaoh's daughter takes your dream out of the river. Suddenly, Pharaoh's daughter invites you to come and raise your own dream. Suddenly, hell doesn't know it's being played by God Almighty and doing the very thing that it's trying to stop. But all you've got to do is take whatever that is that God is asking of you, your career, your future, your education. Check this out your desire to quit and walk away from your job, from your marriage, from your children, from your spouse. Take that desire and put it in the basket and let God have it. It looks scary to do that. It looks terrible scary to do that. Sometimes when your dream is not coming true and it's been one, two, three years, and all it takes is a phone call and suddenly your dream is in your lap sleeping you don't know what God is about to do in your life because we're living where it's really scary and I believe that God is saying tonight let him have it do you feel like right now it's too hard you're in this room and inside of you, you're saying, but God, it's too 
hard. It's too lonely. It's too difficult. Has God been gone too far with this thing that he's asking of you? Oh, friend, I just want you to know that that's the very moment that God shows up over and over and over again in the lives of people that are not afraid to share a testimony about who God is. That God is good.